This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. All right, Acts chapter 2. Let's stand together real quick, and I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And as we're reading, let's remember that this is God's word. This is God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today's uh, uh, unique for us as a church, and you're going to notice this, because we usually preach through books of the Bible. Next week, we're starting a three-month series in the book of Psalms. I, I can't express to you how excited I am about going through the book of Psalms. I've been reading a book, and I'm going to actually make a quote from it today for, by a guy named Eugene Peterson called Answering God on, on, on Psalms. It's a commentary or his thoughts on how we can enter into Psalms. And one of the things that I think is going to be most exciting for me is that a lot of people look at the Scriptures in an educational way, and especially Psalms, they kind of go, let's study it, let's extract kind of uh, what our insights is and let's get a good study the problem with that when you're just studying scripture is you walk out of this room and you go that was a good study and it does nothing to you it doesn't change anything you just go man that was good that was educational I learned a lot um, the reality of Psalms as Eugene Peterson kind of puts forward and, 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 and other commentators is the only way that you can really understand the book of Psalms is by entering into the psalms by praying it with david it's a book of communal prayer if you will it's a book of singing it's a book of of the community of god praying it together and so we're going to be spending a lot of times through psalms not just studying but entering into it so our services throughout the summer are going to look a little bit different and i am extremely excited i hope that you will uh, do what you can to be a part of all of those as we walk through just um 12 of 12 chapters of the book of Psalms and we're going to kind of pick the ones that we we want to highlight so whenever it comes to sermons like this because we're used to just going through that and somebody you know says on our preaching calendar and it says you know just do whatever the Lord lays on your heart uh, that to me is out of the norm right I I usually go, here's what I'm going to study. Here's what I want to deliver. I want to speak to the community. I want to go through this book of the Bible. And I just preach through books. And when somebody says, just preach whatever's on your heart, there's so many things that are on my heart. 
that I want to express, that there's no way in a sermon that I could kind of do that. And then plus I kind of go, well, I could preach what's on my heart, but then I got to go find scripture to kind of throw onto it. And I got to, you know, try to put something together. And, and all of these kinds of Sundays for me where it's just say whatever you want to say um, are not as easy as it is for me to go, I just want to learn from Scripture and declare what God's saying through His Word. That, that for me is, is far more comfortable, if you will. So I titled the sermon today, Nothing New, Same Old Sermon, Different Sunday. Okay, Nothing New, Same Old Sermon, Different Sunday. And the reason why I titled it that is because everything I want to talk to you guys about today is not anything if you've been a part of this community that you have not heard at one point or another. It's something that I feel like as a pastor, my responsibility is to preach the same message every week in just a different way, through a different text. The problem with you hearing something is we get the idea that if we've heard something one time, we don't need to hear it again. How often do we, when we've heard something, even when we're reminded of it, we get offended that somebody would tell us that again. I've already heard that. I already know that. I can't tell you how many times that happens as a pastor as you're sitting with somebody and you start to remind them of the faithfulness and goodness of God in the midst of their struggles. And they're going, look, I already know that stuff. I've already heard that stuff. What happens when you hear something, even once, is you believe you're an expert on it. And what happens when you hear something is you become familiar. And we know what happens with familiarity. Breeds contentment. When you become familiar with something, you allow yourself to not be affected by it because you think there's nothing else in it that can be extracted. And this in lies the problem with the people of God in the midst of all generations is this message of who God is and His faithfulness and how we should live within the midst of it is, is, needs to be heard every day of our lives. And we should fight hard against familiarity we should want to hear the same message because the reality is until this sinks deep into our hearts and it transforms us and plus we're always looking for something new or something deeper Reminds me of a story of a preacher who was hired at a church. He went and kind of what they call candidated there. And he, he got a job at this church. They hired him because of this sermon that he preached when he went and candidated. They hired him and he comes and they're like, man, this guy can preach. So he starts his first Sunday a couple weeks after he candidates. He starts his first Sunday. And everybody's pumped. The new pastor. Everybody's excited. The place is packed. And he preaches the exact same sermon he preached when he candidated so people are like well he probably candidated at a bunch of different places he probably forgot it's no big deal everybody wrote it off they they like that was good we needed to hear it again cool the next week comes up 
Second week in the pulpit, people come, they're excited, and and what ends up happening is he preaches the exact same sermon again. Same point, same text, everything. Preaches it again, and everybody's like, now that's weird, you know. Maybe he's struggling with some stuff, had a hard week, couldn't plan another sermon, you know. It's weird. We'll let it go. Second week, new pastor. You know, there's no way you can go into a third. Third week comes around and he does the same thing. Preaches the exact same sermon. And so what ends up happening is the church does what all churches do. They form a little committee after a bunch of people are grumbling, right? Everybody's grumbling. They're calling each other. There's an email prayer chain. Pray for pastor. We're not sure if he's got like, you know, Alzheimer's or something, right? We're not sure. He can't remember what he preached. I say, pray for him. And that prayer chain turns into a gossip chain that leads to a, a committee, right? And the committee's like, listen, we need to talk to him. We need to talk to him. We hired him. We did not hire him to preach the same sermon every week. So after that, next Sunday comes up. They said, listen, we'll give it one more week. He preaches the same message. Right after he preaches that message, they call him into the boardroom. And they say, listen, pastor, we've been meeting. A few people have been concerned. We've heard the same sermon five weeks in a row. Good sermon, but we need to hear something new. Pastor doesn't even blink, doesn't even act shocked. He says, I know, I preached the same sermon. And I'm going to keep preaching the same sermon until you start living it out. (laughs) See, the reality is, we really believe if we've heard something once, that means we know it. That means we've listened. That means it's impacted our lives. And as much as today is the same old sermon, just a different Sunday, I pray that you resist a spirit of familiarity. If there's anything we need to learn from this text in Acts chapter 2, as we look at the early church and say, how can we live in light of what the gospel can do in the people of God? It's not going to change. I mean, I used to be a part of circles and churches where every year they'd come up with a new theme, a new vision. And they were always real successful ones, like the year of prosperity and the year of flourishing. You never had, this is going to be a down year, right? It's always, this is going to be the better year than last year. And next year is going to be better than that, right? But ever since we've been just committed to this simple, if you will, straightforward reality of what the Scriptures teaches, my vision hasn't changed every year. I still want the same thing from us. One, the first thing, and I want you to write these things down, taken out of Acts chapter 2, as I'm praying on what kind of church we need to be, is this. The Gospel is everything you see we believe that the gospel surrounds us motivates us counsels us shapes us etc 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 it surrounds us motivates us counsels us and shapes us and what i mean by surround is this and i want that slide to go up because up there shows the symbols if somebody asks me and i've had this asked to me before hey what's your elevator gospel speech when you're on the elevator and you only have like one minute to share the gospel what do you say to that person i say this hey let's go to coffee that's what i say 
Because otherwise what's going to happen is I'm going to spit out one minute of just Jesus loves you, he died on the cross for you, and uh, you, need to, you need to repent. And they're like, who are you, right? And plus you're jumping in to the gospel message at, the, at like the apex of everything that happened and you haven't set the beauty of the surrounding story. And so I'd say, hey, let's go to coffee sometime if I'm on an elevator, right? And to be able to share with them the arrow pointing down is the beauty of the whole gospel. The gospel is all about God coming to us, not us going to God. The gospel is all about Him out of His love and His mercy and His grace coming towards us, creating all things, making all things, and and creating us in His image and likeness. And God is out of His goodness created all things good. And that we as His people were meant to trust Him and live under His rule and reign and to, to have dominion and authority with Him and be on His mission under His rule and reign, doing his work the beauty of what we see in genesis chapter one and two and then genesis chapter three comes where you see that x up there if i could write this on a napkin i would say this is where sin destroyed everything and i would try to show them what and i would try to show us how big sin is because i still think we make too small of a deal out of sin sin ruined everything And until we get out of our minds that sin is what we do, right? Sin is, oh, I sleep around, I do drugs, I do this. This is all sin. Those are sinful behaviors, but that comes out of a sinful heart. Because remember, the original sin is, like I've said many times, biting into a fruit. That doesn't sound like a sinful behavior. The ultimate Sin and the core of sin that you see all through is when we don't trust God, but we put our trust in ourselves. That's sin. And what comes out of that heart when they don't trust God and they put their trust in themselves is all things have been destroyed. And all things, the whole world is living under a groaning and a curse. There's nothing in your life that you touch that's not affected by sin. Every bite of food you take is affected by sin. Every air that you, every piece of air that you breathe is affected by sin. Everything in our lives is affected by sin. We don't know a world without sin and its effects. And it's all rooted in this idea of I trust myself. And then you see that unfolding over and over and over again as God chooses a people, comes to them, redeems them, calls them to Himself and says, trust me, and they trust themselves. Trust me, then they trust themselves. He, 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 he protects them, delivers them, and calls them to trust Him, and he, they trust Himself. You see that over and over again in the people of God. And then you see this cross. I wish I could add another symbol to this just because I don't think the cross is the only thing that stands at the center of history. I think it's the cross and the resurrection. That in the center of all history is these two events, the cross and the resurrection. And that in Christ, 
we see that sin has been fully dealt with. The stain of sin has been washed. The power of sin has been conquered. And the presence of sin is going to be dealt with when? When the arrow comes down again and the promise that He's coming again to make all things new. I know many of us hear the Gospel when we turn the arrow up where this whole world's going to be blown up and we're floating up to heaven, right? But the Gospel is God's coming again because He loves all of His creation and He's going to eradicate sin and this whole world once again is going to be made new under the rule and reign of Christ. That Jesus Himself has dealt with all of the effects of sin. The stain of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin. That this Gospel surrounds us that if you see the gospel this big and not just jesus loves you although that's essential it's this big the whole of history the whole of history is written by god himself he has inserted himself and made himself known throughout the story of history that the gospel is huge and it surrounds us and we are a part of it, either as ones who don't trust Him and trust ourselves, or as the people who trust Him and submit ourselves to a story. When you see the Gospel is this big, you don't find yourself outside of it. You try to figure out, how am I inside of it living in this Gospel story? The gospel not only surrounds us, it motivates us. Here's what I mean. Some of us are trying to figure out how I'm going to make it through all these hard times in my life. Right now you're trudging through life, constantly feeling empty and pressures and all these kinds of things. And you're trying to figure out where am I going to get the motivation to keep going forward. And the reality is you're so used to telling yourself you can do it. I think earthly motivation is so superficial. Because what ends up happening is, is you see people who make a living af off of this speech. You can do it. But don't ever question, if they can do it, why haven't they already done it? The reality of motivation based upon yourself, just kind of pulling yourself off, off your bootstraps and doing what it is and trying to get people around you to tell you, you can do it. There's much deeper encouragement than pointing to yourself. Here's where gospel motivation comes from. Whenever God wanted to encourage his people, he never said, you can do it. He always said, look at me. Always. The greatest encouragement the people of God can get, the greatest encouragement the people of God can get is when he says, look at my faithfulness. Look at my grace. Look at who I am. Because if the gospel doesn't motivate you to continue to go forward, to be faithful, to continue to walk in the way in which you have been called to walk, then nothing else has the power to actually motivate you. You know what else the gospel does? It anchors you and restricts you. So many people think the gospel is just advice. If you ask people, hey, tell me about the gospel and what the church does, they're like, well, they just tell you the way you should live. 
do this, do that, do this. And the reality is I hate how much that is true about the church because the church has just become a place in which people come and you just give them practical steps on how they should live their lives. And then people take two or three of them and kind of try to imply them. And then they go, well, I don't agree, disagree, whatever. And so the church has just become a spot where we just give advice to each other. And you have people coming nonstop and saying, Pastor, just tell me what to do. Everybody wants the easy way, believing that if they just knew what to do, they would do it. That part just continues to blow my mind. I don't think you don't know what to do. I think you do. The reality is, we don't just need to know what to do. We need the gospel. Let me give you a, the best example I can. And he's in here. So everybody look back at Brian standing back there at the... Uh, yeah, everybody just stare at him. Yeah, there he is. Thanks, Brian. Brian used to be in my youth group, and he was just as obnoxious as 12 years old as he is now. Used to be in my youth group. And as life went on, he went off to the military, had a lot of things go on. We started this church. I had not heard from him for years. I get a call from an unrecognized phone number, answered. He says, hey, you remember Brian Brown? I said, oh, dear Lord, help me. No. <laughs> yes, I do. And he said, hey, and he starts, he actually started the whole conversation by saying, hey, look, I need to find a church where I can tithe. That's what he said. And now every pastor, that's like music to your ears, like, wow. But for me, it sent up a massive red flag. Because he felt like in order for him to get back in favor with God, he had to do something. I said, hey, listen, you can tithe. That's fine. We'll take your money. That's not an issue. But I don't care about that. Let's meet. We started talking. We shared the gospel. He started coming, getting involved in community, walking through it. At that time, he had just got his girlfriend pregnant, was having a child, just got out of the military, totally had a horrible case of PTSD. All of the kinds of things that were literally, his life was caving in on him. And the only thing he could think of was... I just need to tithe because I need to get favor with God. And the reality is now, because of the work of the gospel, not because he tithed, has he moved into a place where he has freedom and he has wife and beautiful kids and all this kind of flourishing in his family as he goes. It's not about just giving and tithing. Now, we'll talk about that at the end, but the reality is what it really is about is trusting God with my whole life. This week, I met with somebody else who sat with me and who has tons of resources, and all they could say is, I need to do something good. Why? Because no matter what they had, they knew they needed to do something because what people really believe is that it's all about doing something to earn God's favor and grace and the reality is the reason why I'm so nervous to give people advice is because most people don't have the discernment to discern between gospel and my advice so I eliminate my advice and just say here's the gospel 
Because I don't want to be passionate about how you should do this and what you should do there and how you should raise your kids and how you should do them. Now, there's practical things that I may be able to help you with, but I don't want to be as passionate about this as you need to know the gospel. What we latch our lives onto is all of these kinds of what we call good ways to live. The reality is, What Brian needed, what I need, what this guy needs this week, what every one of us in this room need is to see that the gospel anchors us and what? Restricts us. Restricts us from what? From laying the law and heavy burdens on everybody. What else does it do? It shapes us. It shapes the way we live and it shapes the way we treat people. Work. School, family, people, all of that is shaped by the way we live. The gospel is not just something we study. It's something that we put on and it changes the way we work. How many of you have a work life and a spiritual life? Because if you do, that's not gospel. The gospel should so saturate you that you realize God created work and work is not a result of the fall and the way that you work is a massive reflection of your belief in God and what Christ has done for you. And I'm not talking about putting fish on your business card. I'm talking about working hard and for the glory of God. School. Family. All of those things, people in your life and relationships, all of that should be infected by the gospel. What do I mean by that? You have been forgiven so much. What does that mean? It should so shape you how you've been forgiven. You should forgive people. You should not hold a long record and grudges against those who have done wrong to you. You see, the gospel, Tim Keller says it this way, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christian's life, it's the A to Z of Christian life. And in this community, and in the community that you see in Acts chapter 2, in this community, in the community you see in here in Acts chapter 2, they committed themselves, they devoted themselves to what? To the gospel, to the apostles' teachings. And the reason why you see this, this, this community flourishing is because they... The gospel was everything to them. They committed themselves and devoted themselves to being saturated in the gospel, to be surrounded by the gospel, to understand the depths of the gospel, to live out the fullness of the gospel, to be shaped by, counseled by, motivated by the gospel. That's number one. Number two, what do we learn from this text? What do I want us to learn? Same old message, different Sunday. Community is essential. This is hard for us. And I, I'm going I'm to do what I can to tread lightly. But it's hard to tread lightly. When everything we swim in, in this culture teaches us completely opposite of this we hear every day these kinds of reality you can't trust no one you should do everything on your own take care of you look out for number one 
And the reality is we are so believing this individualistic culture, which I I want you to hear that not all cultures in the whole world are individualistic. Matter of fact, most cultures are communal. We have so bit into this, this lie that it's all about me and mine that we have laid it over the Scriptures and we've made our relationship with God all about me and Him. And here's what we do. We isolate ourselves and we call it spiritual. Church, isolation is not spiritual. It's extreme punishment. Listen to what Eugene Peterson said. He says this, In the presence of God alone, it's not good. Summon Eve. Call a friend. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. By ourselves, we are not ourselves. Solitary confinement is extreme punishment. Just reading that, I can already tell that we have such a hard time with that concept in this culture that everything in us struggles with it. We teach this at Encounter. Pastor Wayne, if you've been to Encounter, he teaches the first one and it's all about creation. And he goes through the way God created things, that God himself is one God in three, that even he in himself is not fully God without the community of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There's only one time that we see God saying something is not good because he's saying that's good, that's good, that's good. And then he creates Adam by himself and he says that's not good for him to be alone. Why? Because if man is going to fully reflect the God in which he worships, he can't be isolated. He must be in community like the very God that he's reflecting. And when he teaches this, there's a confession at the end, and we say this together, and every time we say this, there are struggles with it. This point is a major point of struggle. It says this, I always am standing in relationship to others and to God. I am not created to be alone, and I cannot be fully human as God created me when I'm on my own. That's, that's difficult. Because the reality of what you see in this church, this early church, is everything they did was together. They sold all of their possessions and they gave it for the good of the whole community. They lived in and had all things in common. They distributed to the poor. They gathered together in homes and in temples and they listened and they talked and they ate together and they sang together and they heard teaching and they lived in community together. This is, if you will, let me explain. When you see God creating the whole world, He creates this shalom. This picture in two chapters of Shalom. And then when he sends his spirit in Acts chapter 2 after Christ died on the cross, he sends his spirit. 
he creates once again a people, and this is, if you will, the Spirit's renewing of the church. This is the shalom of the church, if you will. This is the shalom of what the church is. And everything in us looks back at that and goes, ah, that was just then. There's no way we can live into that now. What does this practically mean? That we really need to encourage people and I really need to continue to encourage all of you to live in community. That we really want the body of Christ to care for each other. Let me, let me explain this. Sidebar on this because I think this is important. We have a lot of struggles with people who come into this church who come from kind of uh, nor- I, like typical, I, guess, I don't know what to say, normal, typical, classic, whatever churches where you sit in the pews, the people who preach are the professional Christians, and whenever you have a problem, you run to them, right? You run to them, you get help, and those pastors are paid to help you all. Now, none of the pastors here get paid uh, a full time, and none of them even get paid enough to actually help y'all's how many problems you have, right? Now listen, I'm not, I'm not against pastors getting compensation. That's not the issue here. But the reality is many people in their mindset go, these guys get paid to take care of me when I have issues. And if I can't, I'm going to go find a place it is. But the reality is God didn't send pastors to just take care of the body. The scriptures show us that the body is supposed to live in such a unity that, there's, that each joint is to supply to each other the kinds of encouragement that they need for each other the reality is if you were thinking I could just call this guy whenever I have struggle it's going to be hard you get they got jobs they got families and everybody's in they they're, they're booked out almost every night trying to counsel people work through it that part of it is actually good for us because that means you can begin to see the giftedness of other people in the body of Christ who can help you And you can begin to see that in order for you to live fully, you have to serve others and help them also. Why? Because the body of Christ is to function together in unity. And we have this benefit inside of this community to see that all of us need to care for each other. And it can't fall just on the leadership that we as a family need to learn to care for each other. That doesn't mean I can't call the pastors or get help. That just means, listen, if you really want to be discipled and walk in the kind of discipleship that Scripture points us to, we've got to start to see the power of us being a body and living in community. The best place to be discipled and the best place to disciple others is in the context of community. The gospel is everything. Community is essential. The third thing is this, that you see in Acts chapter 2, and one thing that we should continue to understand, generosity is expected. Now, why did I use the word expected? Well, one, I used um, everything essential, and I needed another E, right? Every preacher's got to have three points, and then the, all the first letters have to line up, right? But I, I picked the word expected for a very important reason, and that is this. If someone has the gospel is everything, 
And if someone is living in the essential reality of community, then the gospel should be, I mean, then generosity should be expected. Here's what I mean by that. When somebody has everything that they need, and when somebody is doing all the things that they should be doing, then what should be expected of them is generosity. What do you see in this text? This church was committed to the gospel, was living in community, and they were uncomfortably generous. I can't tell you how many times people read a text like this and go, well, man, I mean, that's just crazy. They sold all that they had and gave it. And why, you know, I, I, you know, I, you know, we just, you know, I don't believe in Old Testament kind of tithe. You know, I don't believe in that. I, I believe in kind of grace giving, New Testament giving. I'm like, that's perfect. That's great. I don't believe in Old Covenant tithe either. What I believe in is New Testament. And if you do, that's perfect because that means you got to sell everything and give it all, right? <laughs> The reality of what you see in this text is far more uncomfortable than we want to admit. Everything they had was used for the good of each other and for the good of their city. They gave as others had need. The kind of generosity that you see in this text is so uncomfortable. And it doesn't just have to do with money. Their time was given away. Their gifts were given away. And their money was given away. They were so generous that these people really do become uncomfortable because all of us like to walk around with reasons for why we are not generous. And here's the main reason we're not generous is because we don't know all that we have and we have a poverty mentality. Here's why I say generosity is expected. One thing that I'm really concerned about when it comes to this community is how often we talk about what we don't have. But when we understand the gospel... We lose that excuse because we have everything we need in Christ. You're rich. You have all the riches that you could ever need in Christ. And in Him is all that you need. And on top of that, He has given you so many gifts. The community that you live in, the people that you're around, the resources that you've been blessed with, the job that you have, all that you have and all that you are, the family, all those kinds of things that you have in your life are a gift from God. And God has so richly poured out the things upon you that in order for us to not be generous, we get distracted with, well, I wish I had this, I don't have this, I don't have enough of this. And the reality of why generosity is an option for us and not expected for us is because we don't spend enough time looking at all that we do have. And when you look at all that you have and all that's been given to you, then out of you comes this extreme and radical and uncomfortable generosity. So much so, and I've had this happen to me, where people want to sit down with me and say, hey, listen, you need to not give away so much. You need to focus on yourself a little bit. Or, or, or not just give away your time. You need, to focus, you need to focus on yourself a little bit. People become so uncomfortable with extreme generosity that they want to temper and, and, and bro- knock down how much you're giving away. Why? And I'm not just talking about financial, although if you are not giving financial, there's a real gospel problem. 
I'm talking about time, that you should be serving and, and, and reaching out to others. There should be places you're involved with, sacrifices that are being made. There's gifts that you have been given. Do you realize that this body needs the gifts that the Spirit has poured into you? And in order for that to take place, you've got to see them as gifts and be willing to give them away. Because everything God blesses us with is not just so we can be blessed. Do you realize that? The end goal of God's blessings is not just for us to walk around and say, I'm blessed. He blesses us to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. And any financial gain and any time and any gifts and any talents and anything that God has poured into you is meant to be a blessing to others and this life that you live if you want to know what the gospel says is a good life here's the good life a life that's lived sacrificially a life that's lived selflessly a life that is lived serving God and serving others that's why you see in this church signs, wonders, miracles, people being saved. As the band comes, I want to just put this last slide up and I hope that this will sink deep into our hearts. My, our, our pastor here at Redemption, but my pastor, if you will, Tyler Johnson, who is the lead pastor of all redemptions, he takes us through this chart Almost every time we get together, and here's the reason why. Because we can lose track. He he's, repeats this so many times, and, and it so hits me that I want this, my kids to know this, I want you to know this, is this, the word gift. God has given you so much in himself, in salvation, in his people, in all the gifts that he's poured into you. He's given you so much. You should be overwhelmed by the riches of what God has given to you. And if you don't see it all, it means you're not centered around, focused on, saturated in the gospel. In Christ, you have been given all that you need. In Him, He has given us these gifts. When you see that you've been given a gift, there's only one response, and that's gratitude, thankfulness. We should be the most thankful people. Can we say amen to that? I'm, it blows my mind that when we come into a place like this and take one example of the music that's being sung and we hear the gospel and the riches and the blood that's been given to us and the foundation we get to have and all these things and, 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 and all we can do is go, wow, that's good. That's not the point. And I know, you know, we're used to coming to a club late so that we can make an entrance, right? But listen, you are missing a time when you walk into a room and you just kind of go, all right, let's get to something. This is a time for us to be thankful for all that God has done. This place should be filled with so much praise that the people of God in their thankfulness should be a testimony of how rich they are in Christ. People should be uncomfortable with how thankful we are. The practice and the discipline of thankfulness only comes out of our focusing on and remembering all that we have been given. And lastly, what comes out of that thankful hearts is 
gratitude, that mean, or generosity, it means I'm so blessed that I want to bless others. That's why I say generosity is expected. If you start at the bottom and say, oh, why is somebody not generous? Well, because they're not thankful. They're not thankful. They don't think they have enough. Well, why are they not thankful? Because they don't see what they have as a gift. They become familiar, and what they really want is something else. Because when you see that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, and you see that all that you've been given in Christ, the natural outflow of thankfulness, uh, the natural outflow of a gift is thankfulness. Thank you so much. Have you ever been in a place where somebody gets an amazing gift, and they're just kind of, oh, cool, thanks. And you're like, dude, if my dad gave me that car, I'd be going buck wild right now, right? You spoiled little punk kid. Take that car back, right? Why? They've been given so much that 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 car can't satisfy. Thankfulness is a natural. When you've been poured out upon so much and you're not thankful, that just means you don't see all that you have. But also when you're so thankful, you're going to be generous. You're not going to hold on to it. You're going to give it away. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.